Hi, we're Ellen Taylor, and we're here to join you on your journey from pregnancy to birth, postpartum, and beyond. Here on the podcast, you'll get interviews with birth and parenting professionals, birth stories, and educational episodes to get you feeling confident, supported, and empowered on your journey to and through parenting. Welcome to Birth Reimagined. Hi, I'm Elle Kennedy, a birth photographer and doula based in Orange County, California, and I use she, her pronouns. Hi, I'm Dr. Taylor Garcia, a doctor of chiropractic also here in Orange County, and I also use she, her pronouns. Today, we're talking to Amanda Armstrong. Amanda is a women's mental and physical health life coach specializing in anxiety, depression, and postnatal recovery through her business, Rise As We. She has a master's degree in kinesiology specializing in sport and exercise psychology and worked as a personal trainer at Google HQ in California before leaving in 2018 to run her coaching business full-time. Like many, her birth didn't go according to plan. But she's actually here to share with us how she used her physical and mental preparation to move through it all. Amanda, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So, Amanda, how many kids do you have and how old are they? I have one and he is seven months old this week. Oh, that's awesome. So he's finally starting to like move around. Is he crawling yet? He's crawling, and as of two days ago, he's already standing. He's pulling himself up. Not unsupported, obviously, but he basically went from crawling to pulling himself up onto his two feet within days. Oh, my gosh. So he is ready to move. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your birth story with us. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your journey into motherhood? Yeah, I... I think I always knew I was going to be a mom and my husband and I got married in March I think March April it's sad I feel like I'm only seven months into motherhood and I'm already struggling to remember my anniversary date um, and we got pregnant um, about four or five months later with my son and we definitely I feel really really fortunate um, we got pregnant pretty quickly and for me it was, it was kind of interesting because all of my friends had said, you know, start before you totally feel ready because it's going to take a few months. And so I run my own business. I have timelines, I have to do's. And so what a blessing that we got pregnant so quickly, but for me, it threw me for a little bit of a mental loop. And so the initial part of my pregnancy, um, I think was unexpectedly challenging Um, I have a number of friends who have struggled with infertility, and so I have heard all of the heartbreaking woes that come with that. And then here I was on the other side of this where I actually got pregnant a little sooner than I had planned, and that came with a little bit of mental heaviness as well and a little bit of guilt. I think guilt that I got pregnant so fast, guilt that part of me didn't you know, want to get pregnant that soon or that quickly, it kind of messed with my personal life and my timeline, which I think is is a lesson that I think as mothers, we need to learn because children are going to mess with all of your timelines and all of all of your to do's. Um, But so my journey in, you know, through this pregnancy, uh, the first trimester was a little bit challenging mentally for me, because I felt like I didn't almost feel valid in that struggle of the struggle of almost getting pregnant before I wanted to, um, because so many of my friends were struggling with the opposite of not being able to, to get pregnant. And that felt so much bigger. And so I had a lot of, of 
mental work to validate that it was okay that my hard looked different than other people and to validate that it was a different flavor and that it was still hard because expectations were yeah. unmet in in some in some way. So that was kind of um, my journey into into motherhood, into pregnancy was, you know what? It uh, it happened quite easy for us, which was um, a blessing and uh, still something that was a little bit hard at the very beginning. Yeah, I definitely, I I was right there as well. Um, our listeners don't know this. I was actually married once before and we had been trying to have kids for about eight months or so before we ended up getting divorced. Things didn't work out for us. And I didn't get pregnant, didn't have any miscarriages, anything like that. So when Jeremy and I um, decided to have kids and I got pregnant right away, it was a really big shock for me. It was like, oh, like it it wasn't something up with me. And so I, you know, I had gone into it expecting like, oh, this, you know, this is going to take a while. We have time. And instead I got pregnant right away. So it was, I very much understand that shock of like, oh, this was, this was actually easier than I expected, but it also means like you have to be ready now. You don't have time to mentally prepare and physically prepare before jumping into that ring. Yeah. And I think, I mean, as your listeners just heard, I, I think I stumbled even through telling that because there's only very, very few people who are really close to me that I've shared that those feelings with, because I want to be sensitive to people who struggle is on the opposite end of the spectrum, but it is something that I, I feel is so important to share and validate because like you just shared, I'm not the only one. And I think that a lot of times this, this side of things doesn't really feel like they have a space to be validated for that struggle as well. But it was very real for me. Yeah, it's, it's a different kind of adjustment. So many of us feel like it's only valid if we're adjusting to the concept of possibly never being able to have a kid. But what we had to deal with was we have a kid right now and we weren't quite sure we were ready quite this soon. So it's, it's just a different sort of mental adjustment that we're making. Yeah. And for me, it was just a lot of feelings of, I think, guilt. Like I had to do a lot of mindset work around, um, just because this is hard doesn't mean that you're not grateful. Like, of course I was grateful to be pregnant. Of course I was excited for this life growing in my body. And it was a hard adjustment and there were some things, some big things that had to be rearranged because it didn't match kind of my assumed timeline. Yes. Yeah. That's all valid. We're humans. Our emotions are so complex, but they're still valid. So after getting pregnant so quickly and having to adjust expectations, how did the rest of your pregnancy look? My body does pregnancy really well. Um, I am such a goer, such a doer. Um, Pregnancy was something that just kind of, like many women, just put me on my butt. There was exhaustion that I've never felt before. Um, But the truth is my pregnancy went really well. I am five foot three. Um, Before I was pregnant, I was 140 pounds, very strong, very healthy, you know, personal trainer type uh, build. 
and I had a 55 pound weight gain. So I went from 140 to 195 by the end of my pregnancy. So my body got very, very big. And I started to have some lower back pain and some knee pain. And I've never really struggled with a lot of chronic pain. So for me mentally, I'm really, really lucky. I've done a lot of positive body image work. And so it wasn't so much the body image of my body getting so big. It was that I was just uncomfortable in my physical body for the first time. So Mm -hmm. although my body handled it like a champ, literally my last doctor's appointment before I ended up going into labor, my doctor's office was on the ninth floor. And because of COVID, I didn't feel comfortable in the elevator. So I walked my, you know, 55 pound weight gained belly and body up nine flights of stairs to get to my last appointment. And like I did it and I was fine. Um, I think that that is the benefit of being active. And I had a very active pregnancy. Um, I run a women's online fitness and mindfulness program. And so I was recording workouts for my women all throughout my pregnancy. And so it was such a beautiful thing to have that group of women you know, who I lead, but still be there as accountability to keep showing up for myself physically, because I really needed that strength um, to carry this growing baby, to carry my growing body. Um, So the rest of my pregnancy, I think, was very textbook, minus obviously above average weight gain. um, But I had an amazing practice. And the way that it worked was I would see a different midwife or physician each time And not once did they express um, concern over my weight gain, which for me was something I was really grateful for because I'm in the business of bodies. I know bodies. I knew my body was healthy. I knew I was moving my body. I was working out. I was eating well. And to contrast, I had a friend who was about two weeks ahead of me in pregnancy and almost always five to 10 and towards the end, even 15 pounds behind me in weight gain. And her doctor harped on her every single appointment. Um, And I was just so grateful to be at a practice that trusted my body that said, yes, you're gaining above average, but we don't know if you're gaining above your average. This is your first baby. You're healthy. Um, Kind of the running joke I had with the girls in uh, in my program is that I was going to do a burpee until the end. And I actually did two burpees two minutes before I left for the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't think I would have been able to do that. <laughs> I would have, I would have keeled over. Like, <laughs> I don't went... know that I could do a burpee on my best day. <laughs> In general, the issue that comes with weight gain is the gestational diabetes. And that again is you, you do a blood test for that. You don't necessarily equate that to the weight gain. Um, so that is kind of one of those, you know, you know, baseline medical field things that, you know, we try and watch out for in the more in the more holistic side of it, where it's like, yes, you're gaining weight, but you're going to have a baby. Yes, you're gaining weight. And, you know, you, you look for the other symptoms of, you know, extreme thirst or going to the bathroom even more than you would be going to the bathroom while pregnant. Um, so cause I, I had a friend, um, the front desk, other front desk lady at my clinic she barely gained any weight but she had just gestational gestational diabetes so it really again it's not it's not necessarily equated to weight but they use it as the marker and we probably shouldn't be doing 
should probably should not be doing that in the medical field because again everybody is different yeah totally look at all of the markers and not just one yeah and I definitely like in my workout program with my women like we don't do before and after pictures we don't do any kind of weigh-in like health is always about how we feel um, how strong our bodies are, what we're capable of doing. And so I don't typically talk about weight and numbers at all because I don't want, especially any other woman who is through in, you know, on their journey through pregnancy, listening to this podcast to compare, but because I am a smaller body and because my weight gain was on the higher end of the spectrum, I have found that more often than not, when I do throw out the numbers, it can be incredibly validating for women who maybe are like my friend who have numbers that look like mine, but just ended up with the physician who takes that. focusing on the wrong things. Who's focusing on the wrong thing. And so that's, I think, just kind of my disclaimer to any of your listeners of, you know, don't compare your, your numbers to my numbers with the exception of maybe feeling validated that like, oh, her weight gain looks similar to mine. And I do have that physician that's saying something and that's not universal. Like that person's word isn't the end all be all. Like how does my body do it? Do a check-in. Um, but yeah, that's why I throw my numbers out there just because they do tend to be on, on the higher end of the spectrum and can give some perspective to other women who only have their particular physician's word for yeah. what is normal or not. There is a wide range of what is normal. And there, on the far other side of the spectrum, there are some people who lose weight during pregnancy. And that can be normal too, depending on your body type, depending on your body's needs during pregnancy. It can be normal for you. No, it's not normal for everybody, obviously. But it's it really is about what your body is needing and feeling and how you are doing physically. Yeah. All right. So Amanda, besides two burpees before going to the hospital, can you tell us more about how your labor progressed and what led, you know, what led to the outcome? So my water broke at 11 PM. I was actually, I was just getting into bed going, it was three days um, before his due date. And I thought for sure I was going to carry over. My mom carried over with me. My husband's mom carried over with him. My mom had to be induced for all of us. So I just assumed I was carrying him over. So I just went to bed three days before his due date. And, uh, my husband was in the bathroom and, uh, you know, sometimes there's just, you know, discharge, there's things that happen down there when you're pregnant. So I was like, Hey babe, can you bring me a tissue? And, uh, I sat up to get the tissue and realized very quickly I was going to need more than a tissue. And I just look at him. I'm like, I think I just beat my pants. And so I get out of the bed and I wander to the toilet and I'm leaving a trail. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I think my water just broke. And so I had no other signs of labor. I was having no contractions. I felt great. Like we're laughing through this. Um, My mom was in town. So um, I grew up in California. That's where my parents still live. But I now live in Alexandria, Virginia, just outside DC. So she'd flown in a couple days early and uh, she was going to go to Costco the next day and like get me pads and a whole bunch of stuff. So I had nothing except some baby diapers. So my mom grabs some scissors and cuts the wings off the diaper. So <laughs> I have a, a diaper catching, you know, my water that's leaking because it doesn't just break. You keep leaking water forever. Yeah. It's <laughs> so- 
Yeah. So for our listeners who don't know, it's not like a water balloon where it just pops and it's done. Your body is actually constantly producing amniotic fluid. Um, and before your water breaks, your body's recycling that. And that's why you have to pee so much um, while you're pregnant. But once your water breaks, your body can't recycle that anymore. So it just kind of trickles out forever. Like it's just, it just keeps coming um, because your body's constantly um, creating more. Uh, so, yeah. So you're just like still leaking. <laughs> yeah. So there's this hilarious picture of me just like sitting there holding a diaper about to get off the toilet. My mom took it and it's just like all of us are just like, well, this is happening. Um, so I call the hospital and I, I let them know, like, look, I'm not having any labor symptoms and, but like my water broke and they said, okay, whether you start having labor symptoms or not, we need to see you at, I think they said six hours post your water breaking. You need to be in the hospital because they're worried the longer your water's broken, the higher the risk of infection, et cetera. Um, so being the responsible adult that I am, I didn't have a hospital bag packed yet. So we took the next, you know, hour or so and packed the hospital bag, got snacks ready. And then I tried to get some sleep because I knew we were in for, you know, a long road. So I started to get some mild contractions at maybe about 1 a.m. 5 a.m. was when I was supposed to be at the hospital. Um, that's about when we got up, went into the kitchen. Um, I, again, those burpees were a point of pride for me. So there's a video <laughs> of me in the kitchen minutes before we leave for the hospital, I do two burpees. So this is after my water broke. I do two burpees, give my mom a hug goodbye because uh, there were no visitors because of COVID. And my husband and I went to the hospital um, where I got checked in. And I don't really know exactly what is kind of normal versus non-normal times. But again, my water broke at 11. Um, we checked into the hospital 6 a, about 6 a.m., and then I do know that I was uh, pretty slow to dilate, but contractions came on pretty quick. I would say by 8 a.m. the next morning, I was feeling contractions. I had done some hypnobirthing to prepare for this. Uh, I was pretty certain I was still going to get an epidural, but I wanted to entertain the option that maybe I'd ride this out. Uh, and in my mind, active labor is when you have, you know, these contractions a couple minutes apart and like that's when the baby comes. So I've been doing this now for maybe about an hour. And I asked the midwife, I'm like, when, when am I ready? When do I start pushing? She's like, probably like four or five hours. And I was like, do not sign me up for that. Please, please, <laughs> please get me the epidural. Like I had mentally prepared for like an hour of this and not five hours of this. So at about maybe... 11 or so I got the epidural which for me worked really really well um I still had some sensations so I could feel my contractions which was important for me and I know you don't always get to choose whether you have some sensation or not it's just how you react to the epidural and how it's placed but um I, I really wanted to be able to control my body uh so I finally at midnight that night was dilated enough to push. So water broke at 11 p.m. 25 hours later, um, I started to push. Now the position of Cade, my son, 
he was head down, but he was face up. So we had a sunny side up baby, which tends to be a little bit more of a challenging delivery. Um, also, my husband has a huge square head and uh, we knew he just had a big head. So we were prepared for this. And I pushed for probably about 10 minutes before my midwife looked up at the hospital nurse and she said, uh, take her temperature. She feels warm to me. So about 20 minutes into pushing, we discovered I was starting to go uh, septic. So we got some Tylenol. Um, I did have a fever and I got some Tylenol, was still able to keep pushing. The fever was able to come down, uh, but about two, I think I pushed for about two hours and the midwife said, we need to start a conversation. Um, he's not moving. Your pushes are incredible. Like you are one of the strongest mamas I've seen in here. You have amazing body control. You're bearing down. You're pushing in a beautiful way. Uh, he's just not moving. And we don't know if he's getting caught because he's face up. Um, but his heart rate is is fluctuating. It's stressed out because of the severity, you know, because of one, the pushing, but also your fever. You know, you were starting to go sepsis. And um, we just need to have the C-section conversation. And I was devastated. I had prepared for this mentally. I had prepared for this physically. Like I bought all the supplies. Like I was ready. I was ready. And I trusted my body to have a vaginal delivery. And, uh, she goes, look, it's not an emergency yet, but we just want to, to have that conversation because we don't want it to become an emergency. We don't want that for you mentally. We don't want that for you physically. Uh, so if I think we've probably got about, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. And at any point in that time, you know, it could become an emergency if his heart rate um, starts to get any more erratic. So I kind of took my few deep breaths and uh, I said, I want the 30 minutes. She said, okay. So I had a couple more pushes every time. I'm, Did he move? I'm going to jump in and say, I am so glad that you had a midwife there with you who was willing to have these conversations early and give you time to process and give you time to make that decision because we hear so many stories of women who things are not presented as a choice and things are presented as this is what we're doing, period, and not as what would you like to do here's all the information. So I'm just, I, I know that your story didn't end the way that you wanted it to, but I'm so glad that you had a midwife who at least was there discussing all of these things with you and giving you some time to process what all of it meant. My midwife was a game changer. And the way my pro or the way that my practice is is I saw, like I said, a different midwife or physician each time that I went in for my pregnancy visits. And you just get who, whichever midwife uh, and mm -hmm. physician are on staff at the hospital. So my midwife, I actually had never met her until the hospital that day. And she was, she was my angel that day. Um, in order to like last minute to try to flip him, she's like, 
up on the bed. We're using the rebozo. Like she went above and beyond to, to make this a story of triumph. And, um, she was just such a special and integral part. And side note, um, I actually have my like six month checkup, uh, next week from when we're recording this and it will be, I specifically requested an appointment with her. So, uh, this will be the first time that I've seen her since the hospital. And I don't know, I'm sure she delivers a lot of babies. She may or may not remember my particular story, but, um, there's a really special part of my story that I'll share with all of you in a minute that I'm excited to reshare with her how much it meant to me. Oh, that's so special. Like, love it. Yeah. So I'm in, I'm in that phase where I looked at her and I said, I want the 30 minutes. I want, I want to try. And, um, so every round of contraction, I, I ask, how are we doing? How are we doing? And she's like, it was a great push. <laughs> it was a great push. And we get to a point where I'm, I think I'm just kind of mentally getting there. Um, and I looked at her and I said, what do you think? You've been here the whole time. Do you think he's going to move? And she looked at me and she said, I think that you have had incredible pushes. And I think that he is staying put. So I looked at my husband and I grabbed his hand and I said, one more. I said, I want one more round. And if he doesn't move, then let's scrub up. So the next wave of contractions came. I'm holding my husband's hand and I gave it absolutely everything that I had. And with tear-filled eyes, I looked at my midwife and I said, you know, did he move? And with just the most love and compassion, she said, you did great. But he's still at like the zero station. And so I shed my tear and literally it was one. <laughs> I am so grateful at this point for the the meditation practice that I have, the meditation practice that I, I brought with me to practice a level of acceptance of, okay, like this is what it is. And it's not what I wanted. It's not what I would have chose, but like, this is the story that's being written right now for me and my son and my family. And so I said, okay, like it's time. And this angel, and I, I'm teary-eyed as I say this, of a midwife, she stood in front of my bed. The physician was in there ready to go, and she kind of stood in between them, and she said, before we head in there, you need to know these four things. She said, one, you've already proven that you're an amazing mother because you are choosing his needs over your wants right now which proves that you're going to put him first time and time again. She said, two, this is absolutely no failure on your part. You pushed, they were strong and they were beautiful. And I see no reason why you cannot have that vaginal birth that you want in the future. You have done incredibly well today. Three, you're not only becoming a mother soon, but through all of this, you're going to become a warrior as well. And four, you need to know that you're not in any of this alone. We are all here and we've all got you. Oh, I'm going to cry. 
What an amazing midwife. What an amazing person. Those four need to be like posted somewhere in every like room. My gosh, in every room. Just above and beyond in every way. Because right, like this is this is a huge defining moment. It's not just you don't just leave home with a baby. You leave home a mother, especially when it's your first, right? Like this is an initiation for me. And it's an initiation that I saw going one way and it just didn't. And so for somebody to be able to, one, like give me the credit, you know, and and, and somebody who's in the business of bodies as well to say, hey, look, hey, I know you're not getting what you want this time, but like, don't lose hope. You can still have this. I see no reason why you can't have this if you choose to have more kids in the future. And, you know, acknowledging the disappointment, but also just extending such a heart and such a hand to say, we're here. We've got you. Like, you're you're okay. We're going to get you through this. And, like, you did good. You did good. I know it maybe feels like a failure, but but it's so not. And so I think for any of, you know, my fellow, you know, cesarean birth moms out there who struggle, there's a lot of trauma when, when your birth story doesn't go according to your plan. I want to, I want to tell you those four things as well. I want you to take yourself back to that moment where you realized it wasn't going to go according to plan. And I want to speak that to, to you that you've done amazing you're already an amazing mom. You're proving that. And th- there is no such thing as, as failure in bringing a human into the world. A birth is a birth is a birth, whether it is a cesarean birth or a vaginal birth. And you leave with a, a scar that, that marks you a warrior forever. And that you're not in it alone. I think it's like almost one in every five, you know, mothers or births end up in a cesarean and it can feel so alone in those moments. Uh, But there is so much kind of sisterhood and just healing to be found in community around just things not going according to plan. That's why we're here. That's why we're sharing these stories is that feeling of connectedness, that feeling of I'm not alone. And you're thinking about, you know, a birth is a birth is a birth. I think one of our previous guests called them belly births. Yeah. Just, you know, (laughs) kind of reinforced that it's still a birth. Yes, you're still giving birth. You still grew that baby and did all of that hard work. I will often call it um, a cesarean birth. So a C-section is a surgery. That's like the name of the operation is a C-section and then, um, which it's synonymous for belly birth. But for me, I call it a cesarean birth. I'm a cesarean birth mom. My C-section was my operation, but what I experienced, what I went through was a cesarean birth, the way that another mom had a vaginal birth. Yes. Like if, um, if somebody goes in for a hysterectomy, it's still a C-section. It's the same, it's the same type of surgery. It's just what they're doing is different. Yeah. So, yes, you had a cesarean birth. Yeah. So once once that call was made and and uh, that amazing, amazing midwife gave me her pep talk 
they scrubbed up my husband, they rolled me into the OR. And uh, I actually, just before they, I left um, the room that I was in, I closed my eyes. And I really went into my own place. Um, and I didn't actually open my eyes again until uh, they said my son was, was over the curtain for me to see. But my thought behind that was, you know, if this isn't going to be what you wanted it to be, then you get to, now you get to make it what you want it to be. So as they rolled me out, I closed my eyes. I did my deep breaths and I just really worked on staying present, staying in that space. And I ended up being rolled into an OR that was all women, the physician, the nurses, everybody, um, and again, I kept my eyes closed, but I, they were asking me questions and I would answer. And I created a space where I felt empowered internally, even amidst something that I felt like I couldn't control and felt so empowered and truly not alone with this just room full of gabbing women. And, and we were cracking jokes at some point. And uh, I think as part of uh, my cesarean, they had to, to shave down there for something. And, and I made some joke. I'm like, well, that's the first time that's happened in nine months. Like feels good to get some at least grooming out of this. And they're all joking. They're like you and the rest of us with COVID, you know, we don't leave <laughs> our houses. And, and so I still tried to make it, you know, my own, my own moment and my own story. And, uh, as they were, you know, birthing my son, they said, you know, he's here, open your eyes. And they held him over the curtain and I got to see him and the policies of the hospital was um, that I, and I don't know if I know that some moms can do skin to skin while they're getting um, sutured up, but I don't know whether it was because of the sepsis or what, but he went to my husband first. So my husband got to do skin to skin first. And so seeing that moment and seeing my husband, you know, really become a father, right. I was a mother when I got pregnant, but he was, he really became a father, I think, when they set Kate on his chest and, and watching that special moment um, was so dear to me. And then they uh, let the boys go, took them up for some extra testing again, because I, because I, oh man, sepsis is, an, is a nasty thing. Luckily, mine didn't get too far. It, it didn't get for me beyond the fever and it didn't affect um, my baby at all, but they took it very seriously. They put me through um, some extra testing and extra watch. Um, but I was really lucky. Everything went as well as it could be. We went into the recovery room. They brought my baby in. Um, he latched pretty, pretty well. And we stayed there for two days, I think. Um, I was pretty determined to get back home to my mom as soon as I could, just because I wanted her there in the hospital with me and she couldn't be. So I wanted out of the hospital and home and yeah, that's kind of, that's how my son came into the world. Oh, I, I know it's not what you planned, but I love that you tried to build in those moments for yourself, even as everything was happening and, and tried to hold on to that sense of warrior self. Like yeah. I, I really do love that. And the, I mean, the morning, it wasn't this, I, you know, I, I went in there with a good mindset and it was a decision that was made and, and I was good with it. There definitely was 
was mourning afterwards. There were, you know, moments of sharing my birth story where again, I had to revisit that it didn't go according to plan. And I think the hardest for me, and I waited probably about three weeks, um, but I had bought all the like ice pack, you know, and, and things to recover from a vaginal delivery. And I, I just didn't need those things. My recovery didn't look like that. And so I remember I waited until my son was asleep and my husband and mom were preoccupied somewhere else. And uh, I sat on the floor and pulled out the supplies and started to box it up. And I just let myself cry. I, I sat there and I wept as I packed away the supplies for the birth that I wanted. And I, I made space for the disappointment. I made space for, for the sadness and uh, allowed myself to feel it in a way that I'm really proud of because I'm, I tend to be somebody who just really puts on the like, I'm okay, it's fine, like it is what it is. Like, and so finding the gentleness that is something that I really hope to be able to cultivate more, to be able to cultivate more of as a mother, um, to be able to give myself that space to be gentle and to feel the sadness and the disappointment without judgment, without thinking I was silly for crying, um, to, to just kind of pack away and, and let myself feel the loss of the birth plan that I had and, and really, start to make peace with the reality of what it was and to, to, to make it beautiful. And I think part of that healing was, you know, for the next few months, anytime that, that Cade was in the room while I was changing, you know, I would kind of lift up my little leftover belly pooch and I'd show him the scar and I'd tease him like, that's your front door into the world. That's where (laughs) you came from. You know, I, you know, I, I have a mark on my body that again, I wouldn't probably choose, but it's there. And and so I, I really tried to, to honor it instead of avoiding my scar. I tried to, you know, honor that it was there and that it was his way into the world and that that was beautiful. Uh, I love that. I love that you recognize that you needed the space and the time to grieve and that you didn't push yourself to move too fast. You waited until you were ready to hold that space for yourself. And to take that time to pack all of the things away yourself that way, you know, that I I feel like the way you describe it, it sounds like it was a really cathartic moment for you. A moment of, yes, grieving, but also learning to accept it also. Yeah, I definitely think that was really, it was really important for me. And then after, I think I, I had that healing moment. And then almost immediately turned it into this, like, almost frustration with postpartum C-section maternal care. Um, it was silly to me that, that in the hospital, they basically were like, yep, if your scar starts, you know, looking funny or you get a fever, like, come in and, and talk to us. And from, again, my background in, in being a personal trainer and my master's degree in kinesiology and all of this, I'm like, look, look the scar on the outside is, is not the only thing. Like you went through, you know, skin and my fascia and fat and, and, you know, you pulled apart my abdominal wall and, you know, there's a, there's a lot more to it than that. And I got sent home with one piece of paper that literally said, 
you know, if you see these symptoms of your scar um, or a fever, call us. Like nothing about how to recover from major abdominal surgery, nothing about, you know, what it should or shouldn't feel like. I'm seven months postpartum and still nobody has checked my pelvic floor. Nobody's checked me for diastasis. Nobody's asked me really about incontinence. Um, It was all just a quick scar check and send you on your way. And so um, being the uh, bullheaded kind of crusader for for women that I feel like I am, uh, (laughs) by the time my son was four and a half months, I had launched and released an entire core and pelvic floor course with a C-section recovery guide that has an entire protocol of how to prep for a C-section and recover from a C-section from the minute that it happens in the hospital. Because there's things you can do in the hospital um, all the way through kind of what a full recovery looks like. And I had a good friend of mine, Aaron Longhurst, who is a pelvic floor physical therapist, kind of co-create parts of this course for me. Because I think once I had kind of healed my birth, you know, from like emotionally from kind of the release of expectations, I then channeled it into like, what the heck? Why? Why did nobody send me home more confident? Like why days, weeks postpartum? And am I having to figure out what recovery looks like physically for my body, let alone trying to keep this tiny human alive? But like, what, what are the things that I can do? I want to get back into exercise. I want to feel healthy. I'm a very physical person. And so that I think was also a seriously healing part. All of that long story is to say that it was, it gave my C-section purpose um, to be able to have created a C-section recovery guide that I so desperately wish I would have had coming home from the hospital. All of a sudden now I'm like, okay, I am actually, you know, for for the sake of other women who've got put in my shoes, so grateful for that experience because now I'm able to provide and guide and lead other women through a more confident recovery than I felt like I had. And in those four months, I was finding out things, again, like I could have done in the hospital or a week postpartum or days that I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have known this. And I'm not even that far removed from that. Yeah. But I think that's a huge part of of my story as well is just feeling like I was able to take this experience that didn't go according to plan and then turn it into something so good and so productive and kind of give it back to the world and to women in a different way. Uh, I feel you so hard right now. That is what this podcast is for me. Um, I don't know if you've listened to my birth story on, I think it's episode four. Um, I did not end in a C-section, but the birth of my second child did not go as planned. Um, we fired my OB in the delivery room. Um, it was all, uh, about 30 minutes before I started pushing. Yeah, it was a mess. Um, and I struggled really badly with, um, there, there was some delivery room abuse. There was um, postpartum depression. Uh, my second child was born with a congenital heart defect. So we were in the hospital for two and a half weeks following open heart surgery at four days old. Like it was a whole thing. And um, Teddy is four and a half now. And this is part of 
this is part of my healing process of of all of that of this is I, I totally understand like I need to channel this back and what were the resources I wish I had what are the things I wish I knew and that was that was the impetus for this podcast was connect people with birth workers share birth stories so that people know that they're not alone that that there are people you can reach out to that there are resources out there and and here they are you know and so that i i 100% feel that need to channel what felt like a really heavy negative experience and turn it into something positive to help other people not go through what we went through. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have any specific advice or tips for soon-to-be parents or people going through a similar situation? I think the one thing I would say to to pregnant and expecting moms is go and do a little bit of research about C-sections. Again, I naively went into this process and into the hospital, like so sure I was going to have a vaginal birth. And I wish that somebody would have told me at some point in that nine month pregnancy, Hey, just so you know, we are rooting for you. We are so sure just like you, that you're going to be able to go in and have, you know, your body cooperate and the strength to have this beautiful, you know, vaginal birth. Cause I believe in really focusing on what you want, but I also wish somebody would have just whispered, Hey, just so you know, about one fifth of all births end up in a C-section. And again, I'm not saying that's where you're going to go, but if you do, it might be helpful if you just had kind of a birth plan for if it goes that way, right? Because as I learned and and as my, you know, my C-section recovery course talks about, there are a lot of ways that C-sections can happen. Um, You can request, and it depends on the hospital, but you can request like a clear shield. When your belly's so big, you can't see anything, but you could see your baby enter the world if you want to. Um, You can request. I didn't even know that having skin to skin on the table um, with my baby and me, as opposed to my baby and my husband was an option until, you know, after that opportunity had passed for me. Um, And so that I think would be the biggest advice for, um, for my pregnant mamas out there is, you know, just take a minute and, and Google, you know, I think it's called uh, family-centric birth plans or family section cesareans. Um, it's kind of this new and up-and-coming thing where you can even request that certain music be played in the OR. So it is still a birthing experience for you um, in case your birth goes that way. And so I think that that would help to decrease trauma from, you know, emergency cesareans or like mine wasn't an emergency, but it was an unplanned. It can help that healing process and give you a sense of control, a sense of choice in this because you're going in with a, hey, I want this, you know, vaginal birth plan, et cetera. And if I end up here, I also mentally know what that process looks like. I know what requests I can make through that process. And that goes for, um, my mom is out there who are having planned, uh, planned cesarean births. So I've talked to so many women since my, my birth, the birth of my son, um, who didn't know that it just wasn't a scheduled surgery, you know, get in, get your baby and get out that they can make 
the same requests of, you know, I'd like the skin to skin before my husband, you know, is that something this hospital does? I'd love a clear shield or a mirror or um, certain music played. So, you know, just because it looks a little bit different than what is traditional doesn't mean it still can't be a beautiful and personalized experience if you put in the time and effort to kind of figure out what that might look like for you, whether that's your plan or not. And yeah, listeners, actually, um, Amanda, you're being a little generous with the one in five. Um, the U.S. stats for cesarean are just over 30 percent. Um, it does vary by state. So some of the states are a little higher, a little lower than that. But the U.S. average is is right around 30 percent are cesarean births. So we have extremely high cesarean rates here in the United States. Um Across the world, uh, the average is lower than that. But here, um, they're, uh, in general, tend to be a little trigger happy for uh, cesarean births. And I think, too, one of the, the most empowering things. So like I said, I did kind of a hypnobirthing. And one of the most empowering things I got from that was the practice itself. But she said, she gave us a list of questions that we could ask the providers so, you know, before they, they measure or, you know, with the, you know, the, the C-section request. And I said, can you, can you talk me through like the medical indications of what you're suggesting to me? Is it an emergency or do I have time? What are my alternatives? And knowing that you can ask those questions when they say, hey, we got to do this. You get to say, hold on you know, bar a real emergency where you really don't have a choice. Most of the time where they, you know, they recommend anything, right? Whether it's a different, you know, forceps or, you know, section or, or whatever, you can say, hey, question, like, what is the medical indication of this? How much time do we have? What alternatives? Is there somebody else that I can talk to? I think having just those questions, because in the moment, it's really hard. You just want to be like, yes, doctor, yes, doctor, yes, doctor. Um, but that, that doctor isn't the only opinion and a different doctor in the room might make a different suggestion. And so you have every right to, to pause the emergency, you know, in most cases, pause the conversation and ask those questions um, to give you some sense of, of say, some sense of control. Uh, because, you know, we are a little trigger happy for C-sections. And mine I got to a place where I really felt like this was the best option. I'm somebody who would have rallied and would have fought for that vaginal birth if I felt like it, it was going to work for me. And you know what? Who's to say, right? Who's to say if I would have just said, no, I'm going to push until it becomes an emergency. Maybe it never would have become an emergency. And maybe it could have been a vaginal birth. And maybe it could have been a horrifically traumatizing vaginal birth. Or an amazing one. and But the truth is, I made the choice that I made. I had the birth that I had. Um, and I can be on the other side of this with a sense of acceptance, I think, because I did ask the questions. And I only knew the questions to ask because somebody helped me figure out what those questions could be in in the moment. Yeah. And um, so for our listeners, Madeline Morris actually mentioned this back in our very first episode, the BRAIN acronym. What are the benefits? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? What is my instinct telling me? And do I need more time to make a decision? 
can I, I take love more time to make a decision? And even if you can't remember the specific questions for whatever procedure they're suggesting, because that's what it is. It is a suggestion. Um, BRAIN can be a, an easy acronym for you to try and remember in the moment of, of some questions that you can ask that will get you more information to make that decision confidently. So, Amanda, before you go, um, we have a couple of questions we'd like to ask all of our guests. First, what is something you do to take care of yourself? I move and I meditate. I think are some of my my biggest self-care techniques. And my meditation is not anything woo-woo or hippie or wild. It's, you know, anywhere from 60 seconds to usually 10 minutes um, first thing in the morning. And it's just something that I do consistently and it helps. I have a pretty ADHD, overactive, anxiety-prone brain. And I think especially as a mom, it's so easy for me to Google a million things and um, get worked up. And so my meditation practice really helps me to to stay, you know, mindful and intentional with my brain. And then I move my body for 30 minutes almost every single day. Um, and that also helps my brain, but also my body to feel strong and capable. And can you share a success or a funny story from this week? Oh, man. I think, well, my kid got his first uh, forehead shiner. Like I said, he's crawling and he's standing and he's wild. And so I think um, kind of a funny story and a success is he's he's taken three total headers to the ground. And I think that that's just part of it is inevitable. And so there's the hover mom in me who wants to be like, put a helmet on him. Like, don't let him do anything. Like, just <laughs> hug him. And uh, so the funny story is, you know, I mean, kids falling is it's sad, but it's also kind of funny. And the success in that is, is again, coming back to kind of that mindfulness practice of like, he has to learn, like, keep him safe, right? But it's not your fault that he just did that. So I, it's not, I didn't go into like, I'm a bad mom mode, which is so easy. Oh my gosh. Mom guilt is wretched. So my success is that he took a bad header and you know, I just kind of was like, all right, like we learn, we're not going to do that. And, uh, let's, let's carry on and keep, keep learning and developing tiny human. Yep. Yep. I've had to take my kids, uh, I had, I actually had to take my doctor to the urgent care and then to the ER, um, twice since COVID, um, once for a staple in her head because uh, one child threw a block at the other child. <laughs> and I'm laughing about it now, but I was in full-blown panic mode as it happened. And then the other time because uh, she, it ended up being a sprain to her wrist, but we weren't sure if it was a sprain or a break. Um, but yeah, so to some extent, like you cannot save them from everything you can do your best to keep them as safe as possible but you cannot save them from themselves like they have to learn they have to learn yeah but yeah I'm I'm calling that a, a success that you didn't give in to the mom guilt and didn't give in to the hover mom protect them from absolutely everything all right, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking with us today. Um, we are so glad to have you. Now, before we go, where can everyone find you? Instagram, website, et cetera. So my Instagram is Amanda on the rise. So just one word, Amanda on the rise. 
And my website is riseaswe.com. So you can find out a lot more about me and and who I am and what I do um, primarily in those two places. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show with us, Amanda. We loved having you on. And thank you so much for opening up and being vulnerable in sharing your birth story with us. It was really beautiful and touching. I cried there when you told me about what your midwife said to you. And just thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a blast. All right. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us here on Birth Reimagined. If you'd like to join our Facebook community, you can find us there at Birth Reimagined Family. And if you'd like to join our email list, you can get the link to that on the show notes for this episode. Being a member of our email list gets you access to all our freebies and makes sure you're kept in the loop whenever a new episode drops or we have anything exciting to share. Thanks again and see you next time.